Hello and welcome back to Under Further Review. Today is Wednesday, March 27th. I hope you are having a fantastic start to your week. If you're a Boise State student, I hope you had an incredible spring break. It feels good to be back in the booth. It feels great to be back doing the show. Just want to start off by giving a big thank you to University Pulse Radio. Shout out to Pulse for hosting this podcast. Uh, so grateful for all that they do for us as well. Big news, if you aren't already following us on social media, first of all, make sure you do go follow us on social media, but officially approved on Apple Podcasts. Make sure that you go on to Apple Podcasts if you have an iPhone, look up under further review or check the link in my Instagram bio or our uh, our Instagram, the UFR Instagram. Go subscribe to UFR. Then it'll just come up in your feed. You'll get notifications on, on when we post new shows. Uh, really excited to be on Apple Podcasts. Really grateful for Anchor and the whole Anchor team for getting us up on there. Got a really good show for you today. We're going to do a reflection on the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. Look into where we were right, where we were wrong, and what we can do to be better going forwards, as well as just general discussion about the tournament. And then as well, we'll do a little bit of looking forwards into what to expect from the round of the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. Second weekend is here. We are almost halfway through the NCAA tournament. One of the saddest times of the year because it goes by so quickly, but it is so much fun. Maybe not this year as much. This year hasn't been quite as fun as we're used to. But before we get into into any of that, let's hear that music. All right, and welcome back. Got a great show coming for you today. Want to talk about the NCAA tournament and particularly some things where we went right and where we were wrong with the first two rounds of March Madness. Uh, let's just start it off real quick with one area where I was very right that a lot of people were surprised. I made a big point about how I thought Duke was the most beatable one seed. I didn't see this team as a team that can legitimately win the championship. I didn't think that they had nearly enough three-point shooting, and I didn't think they had enough veteran guard play. Sure enough, they play North Dakota State. That game's close at halftime, close really up until about the 15-minute left mark in the game, and Duke pulls away. And then Duke should lose against UCF. Uh, UCF looked like the the better team. Aubrey Dawkins was incredible. Um, I actually missed the end of the first half and the the first like 10 minutes of the second half because I was on a on a plane on my way back from New York City, and. Before we before we took off, I texted. I was texting with Nick, and I said, "I'm really excited for me to land." And Aubrey Dawkins has 30 points, and UCF is up by four or has already won. Sure enough, when we land, I, I checked the score, and UCF is up, and Aubrey Dawkins had I think 31 points at that point in time. Uh, this Duke team, they just can't shoot, and UCF really figured it out. They don't have guys who can stretch the floor, so they stuck Taco Fall on whoever was out there that couldn't shoot and just let him eat up the paint and forced Zion and R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish to try to take these really tough shots inside with him in there and essentially dared guys like Trey Jones to shoot. Said, okay, just shoot. Shoot three-pointers. We're going to see what's going to happen. And it worked out really well for UCF. Uh, The end of the game, really tight, great finish. Zion probably should have been called for an offensive foul on that drive. If not, R.J. Barrett should have been called for a foul on the on the offensive rebound to put Duke up by one, and then really just unlucky for UCF not be able to finish at the end there. It's a game UCF should have won, but now Duke's running into Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech didn't look 
super impressive against Liberty, but they were able to pull away and win by nine, nine points. In my personal bracket, I picked Virginia Tech over Duke, so if it happens, I'm grateful. The matchup scares me a little bit just because Duke uh, Duke does have so much familiarity with Virginia Tech. That's one area I was very much right. One area that I was very much wrong was Belmont. I was sold on the Belmont Bruins. I didn't think Maryland was very good. I thought Belmont was going to win that game convincingly. They did not. It's a game they probably should have won. They didn't, though. They lose to Maryland 77-79. to Maryland goes on in the second round and plays LSU and loses on, I guess, what we can call our only buzzer beater of the tournament so far. Tremont Waters hit a shot with like a second and a half left in the game uh, when it was tied to put LSU up by two. But it was LSU-Maryland, and that game was just so boring to watch in the first place. Like Neither of those teams felt good. It was one of those games that you watch, and you're like, wow, we're actually going to put a team in the Sweet 16 from this game? This? This is it? But very much wrong on Belmont. We didn't have a point I kept making was that we've always had a first four team at least win one game, and typically they've gone to the Sweet 16. We didn't have it this year. Belmont wasn't able to get past Maryland, and Arizona State got crushed by Buffalo. I was really high on Buffalo, and I was really high on Texas Tech. Uh, Both those teams have looked – well, Texas Tech has looked really, really good. Buffalo looked good against Arizona State, but the Texas Tech team looks really, really good. Another area that we were right – Nick and I talked about it, but John Morant was going to be the most exciting player in the tournament. And he's been better than Zion. He's been more exciting, or not necessarily better, but he was more exciting than Zion. Uh, I saw a tweet today that Zion is actually second in terms of number of tweets about him since March Madness started, number one being John Morant. My theory for that is just people had heard of the name John Morant, but they hadn't watched him play. And once they watched him play, they were like, oh, wow, this guy's a baller and he's a ton of fun to watch. Nick and I had watched a ton of John Morant this year. One of Nick's best friends is actually an assistant coach on Murray State. So he's been on the jaw train since the start of last year. But John Morant was incredible. He was phenomenal against Marquette, put up a triple put up a triple double. And then against Florida State, John Morant played pretty well against Florida State, but ultimately a horrible matchup for Murray State. And we talked Nick and I talked about it actually off off air probably a month ago. We were talking about this Murray State team and, okay, what what would be the worst possible case scenario for them? What would be the best case scenario in terms of matchups? And one of the matchups we had talked about was like, oh, well, if they get stuck with a, you know, a 13 seed, if they'd gotten Kansas, we were like, that's a great matchup. Kansas, just so many injuries. They're not doing well. But one team we pointed out was if they got Florida State as a four or a five seed, that's a really bad matchup for, Mar- uh, for Murray State. And sure enough, they get it and Florida State wins by 30. Florida State is a really talented team. They have a ton of athleticism, and ultimately Murray State, Jaws supporting cash just wasn't enough. So we were very much right there. One area that I was wrong, there weren't upsets. There weren't. I, I talked about if you wanted a perfect bracket, you can't go all chalk. Well, every single one, two, and three seed is in the Sweet 16. Uh, not something I totally expected. I did not have a ton of faith in LSU. I wasn't sure about Purdue. We talked about how Purdue's a team that if Carson Edwards on, he's on. And if he's not on, he's not on. I think he had 42 points in his game against Villanova. So he was on. So Purdue is on. If Carson Edwards plays at that level, they are a low-key Final Four contender. Uh, So we were very much wrong on that aspect. Another area we were right, though, Virginia. They beat the 16 seed. Yes, they were down at 14 with five minutes left in the first half. But they won, and they won by 15. And so 
history proves us right. There's never been a 16 seed to beat a one seed in back-to-back seasons. It's never happened. It was no reason it would happen this year. So Virginia moves on. Uh, another place I felt really good about being right was Auburn. New Mexico State was the trendy upset pick. I said don't pick it. I really love this Auburn team. Granted, Auburn maybe should have lose, lost. Uh, New Mexico State had a layup attempt to tie the game. He kicked it out to a wide-open uh, wide open shooter for three. He gets fouled. They go to the line. He misses two out of three. Get the ball back. Get a wide-open look at the buzzer to take the win. New Mexico State couldn't do it in the clutch, but Auburn moves on. They play Kansas and destroy Kansas. The final score is 89-75, but if you watch that game, it was a blowout. And Kansas, we talked about how this was just not a good Kansas team. Too many injuries, too much to to put past. And Auburn, man, those guards, when, when they are hitting threes, Auburn is one of the most unbeatable teams in the country. Uh, another area that we were not so right on was... Uh, Oh, we t- yeah, we talked about all, all the upsets, how there weren't upsets, that we predicted a ton of upsets, didn't happen. Uh, one area we were right in was the, the 12 seeds. We said take Oregon-Wisconsin. We said that was going to be a really good game. We said to take Murray State. We already talked about John Morant and that. Uh, and even Liberty was able to get the upset. We didn't feel good about the five seeds at all. And we, we that's something we had talked about a lot coming into the tournament was we felt really good about the one and two seeds. We felt like there were eight really good teams in the country this year. And then after that, there was a pretty steep drop-off. Well, it turns out that Houston, Texas Tech, Purdue, LSU, we could throw them in that category of good teams. And then even then, Auburn. The only two teams that, according to seeding, aren't supposed to be here are Auburn, who's the number five seed, and Oregon, who's a 12 seed, but got really, really hot at the end of the year. And anyone who was watching this Oregon team knows that they were really talented. They crushed, crushed Wisconsin crushed UC Irvine and now they get Virginia in a game that I think will be pretty good Um, the one unfortunate part about not having any upsets is we don't really have a Cinderella team the plus side is we have a lot of really good basketball games coming up we'll get into that a little bit later but there's a lot of games on on tape here that I'm really really excited for Um, to go kind of further into some of these games that we had in the the first two rounds uh, Michigan looked really good they beat up on everybody they played. Texas Tech looked really good. Florida State as well. Uh, struggled with Vermont a little bit initially, but blew out Murray State by 30. And Gonzaga as well dominated Fairleigh Dickinson, did what a one seed was supposed to do. And then really, really impressive performance from from Brandon Clark. He put up an absurd stat line that we really don't see in college basketball. Uh, he was fantastic. He was the best player on the floor. And the fact that he did it against the zone was incredible. Uh, but he had 36 points, which was a career high, eight rebounds, five blocks, and three assists. He became the third player in NCAA tournament history to record a game of 35-plus points alongside five blocks. The two other people to do that, Shaquille O'Neal and David Robinson. That's pretty good company to be in if you're a center. Let me say that again. Shaquille O'Neal, Hall of Famer, maybe the most dominant big of all time, and David Robinson, again, NBA Hall of Famer, one of the best to ever do it at the center position. Brandon Clark is a beast, and he I never thought I'd see it, but he broke Adam Morrison's Gonzaga's uh, NCAA tournament record. Never thought I was going to see it, but there you go. Brandon Clark is a stud, and that entire region is really, really good. 
honestly, it scares me a little bit. It scares me how good that region is. As somebody who picked Gonzaga to win it all, who is a Gonzaga fan, really nervous about that region because everyone there was playing really well. And again, Michigan State beat up on Minnesota, struggled with Bradley for a little bit, but ultimately it was able to get the win. LSU hasn't looked that good. My guess is Michigan State goes through there, but Virginia Tech really didn't struggle too much with either of their first two teams. There's a legitimate argument to be made that the weakest of the teams, at least so far, is Duke that's still left. I mean, they struggled really hard with UCF. I mean, the short list of teams that didn't just dominate their first two first round opponents, first and second round opponents were LSU, Duke, and Kentucky. I mean, that's pretty much the short list of wow, these teams really had a tough time in the first couple in the first couple of rounds. Auburn, if you include that New Mexico State game, but I do want to talk about Kentucky. Uh, they're playing without PJ Washington, which is a really, really tough loss for that team. They're just not the same without him on the floor. Wofford Wofford was they should have won that game and Fletcher McGee who shot 0 for 12 from the field uh he talked about it after the game but he said even if he had played his worst game of his career they still would have won that game but he played so much worse than anyone could have imagined that Wofford wasn't able to get the win but it wasn't something to be totally surprised by over his career against Q1 opponents, he had shot 29% from three. There was a reason he was able to dominate against a lot of the teams in, in the SoCon, and that's just because they're good matchups. They're around his level of athleticism. But when you when you face the length and athleticism that Kentucky has, it creates problems for a guy like Fletcher McGee, who isn't quite as athletic, isn't quite as long, doesn't, you know, he's not as big, but I mean, really an all-time poor performance there from from Wofford and particularly Fletcher McGee. I feel so bad for him. You know, he doesn't hit a single three. And in that first round game, he became the all-time three-point record holder against Seton Hall. Hit more threes in the history of D1 college basketball than anyone ever. And then in the, the Wofford's, I think you can make the argument, this is Wofford's biggest basketball game ever, isn't able to hit a single three-pointer. Feels so bad for the guy, but Kentucky goes through. And our, uh, our Sweet 16 is set. And really no surprises here. Even then, even Oregon, who is the the one double-digit seed, which, by the way, another place we were right, we said take a double-digit seed to the Sweet 16. It's happened in, I believe it's now 12 of the last 13 years. Uh, we'll have to double-check that number. But if there was one double-digit seed that you were going to take, I mean, I personally took Belmont, but the short list was pretty much Belmont and Oregon. Maybe if you were like me, you weren't super high on Michigan Maybe you took Florida to the Sweet 16, but that was pretty much it. That would have been your first two picks is this Oregon team who won the Pac-12 tournament and is super, super hot, or Belmont, who was a really good basketball team and had some decent matchups with Maryland and LSU. So a lot of, lot of stuff that we were right on, some stuff that we weren't so right on. But all in all, I think if you would follow the advice that we had given you there's a chance that you're winning your bracket pool right now. At the end of the day, it's all about picking individual teams. We gave you the numbers to say, okay, you need to have a bracket that that follows this general guidelines. If you had done that, you could have ended up with this bracket. Unfortunately for me personally, I did not hit the right teams. I did not hit the right double-digit seeds. I, I did take Oregon to the Sweet 16. Feel good about that. But uh, Belmont to the Sweet 16 didn't happen. Uh, I didn't have a lot of faith in Michigan. I took Florida to the Sweet 16. Didn't happen. 
Other than that, though, there's a lot of it's all about hitting your elite eight and hitting your final four. I feel pretty good about my my chances to do that. So uh, we'll see in my personal bracket where things go. But with what we gave you, there's a good chance you ended up with this. And I want to go in now and just do some uh, some preview of the games that we do have. Let's start with Duke Virginia Tech over in the East Region. Duke has did not look good against UCF, and this is a Virginia Tech team that did beat Duke earlier in the season. I I picked Virginia Tech in my bracket. I'm sticking with it. This Duke team is super, super beatable, and UCF provided a playbook on how to beat Duke. Make Trey Jones and the non-Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett guys shoot threes. Look, Zion has recently done pretty well from the three-point range, but the reality is he's not going to continue to do that. You need to continue to make Zion and these other Duke players shoot the ball from three-point range and just find a big man who can protect the rim i think virginia tech is going to beat duke i really do it should be a really fun matchup zion has been incredible this tournament he had another i think it was 32 points against ucf but going to be a really good matchup uh lsu michigan state i could not be less happy for this matchup lsu has looked lost throughout the tournament they look like they miss will wade their head coach who is uh on on leave for some alleged incidents where he may or may not have been paying players to come to LSU. But late in the game, in that Maryland game, Maryland was down by, I want to say it was 12 points or so. They were down by double digits, and they decided to go to a zone, and LSU just had no clue what to do with it. They looked. You could literally see the players. They looked over to the sideline, and they have their interim coach there, and he's just like, "I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not the head coach. I don't get paid to to make these decisions." And it really flushed. They just look very poorly coached. I expect Michigan State to win this game by a wide margin, 10, 15, 20 points. I mean, you have Tom Izzo against an interim head coach. The talent levels on the team, to me, are comparable, and so much of college basketball comes down to coaching, and Michigan State is just going to be so much better coached. I like Michigan State in that game. I like Virginia Tech to go to the Elite Eight. Moving over to the south side of the bracket, Virginia, Oregon. This is going to be a really boring game. I'm just going to say that now. This is two teams that do not run up and down the floor. They play really good defense, and they kind of force teams to to make mistakes. It's going to be a really boring game. I think it's going to be a really close game, game probably in the, the 50s, low 60s, kind of a game that's like maybe the first of 65 is going to win. Ultimately, I think Virginia just has too many playmakers, too much talent on that team that they're eventually they're going to get through. That being said, Tony Bennett has a history of not performing well in the tournament, and this could be another case of it. We saw it against Gardner-Webb where they just struggled for that first half. They ultimately got it back together, and then Virginia ended up looking pretty good against Oklahoma. And Oregon's been here before. This is their their third Sweet 16 in the last four seasons. This was a team that they were in the Final Four two seasons ago, and they still have players from that team like Peyton Pritchard who were on that Final Four team. They know the how to win. They know how to make deep tournament runs. Granted, it's a lot of travel for Oregon. Virginia not having to tra- travel near as much. It's a it's a later tip-off, with which might benefit Oregon, but it, it's going to be a close one. If we're in the betting world, this is what I'd call a stay away. Don't touch it. Just bet another game that you feel a lot better about, but I'm, if I'm forced to pick one, I'm going to pick Virginia, but expect a really tight, low-scoring game. And then Purdue-Tennessee. Two teams that Tennessee, they were up 25 against Iowa, and then below the lead, the game goes into overtime, and they were able to pull away in overtime. 
really just an all-time collapse from Rick Barnes and that Tennessee team. And this is what Rick Barnes does in the tournament as well. He has a history of underperforming and being outcoached. And that's kind of what it looked like against Iowa. And then you have Purdue, who, very similar situation, has a history of underperforming in the tournament. This team is really going to rely on Carson Edwards. They're going to need Carson Edwards to score 25, 30, 35 points again, uh, points to, to beat Tennessee. Matt Painter, head coach for Purdue, has a history of underperforming in the tournament. I have no clue what to do with this game. I can guarantee you this, though. If Carson Edwards scores 30 or more points, Purdue will win this game. There's also been games this year where Purdue has, in particular Carson Edwards, has shot Purdue out of games. He shoots three for 20, and they lose by 15. That's a scenario I could see happening. But at the same time, Tennessee has their own inconsistency issues with Admiral Schofield, who will put up 20 points in a half and then be nowhere to find in the second half. And then Grant Williams will put up 10, 15, 20 points in one half and then be nowhere to find in the second half or the other half. Two really inconsistent teams. That being said, for Tennessee has been somewhat more consistent of the two. So I guess I guess I would take Tennessee. Again, it's another game that I really don't have a firm read on. Two really inconsistent teams that that they they just they rely on two players too much. We talked about it a little bit, but Tennessee is a two-headed monster of Admiral Schofield, Grant Williams. If those two guys are playing well, they're going to win games, and if they aren't, they're going to lose games. Problem is those two guys don't play well more often than you would hope. Uh, moving on, let's go down to the, the west side of the bracket. Gonzaga, Florida State, this game terrifies me. They played last year in the Sweet 16, and Florida State ran Gonzaga out of the gym. They won by 15. Uh, the defense just stifled Gonzaga. Gonzaga could not find a bucket to save their life. Obviously, they were playing without Killian Tilly, but there was just no shooting on the floor for the Zags in that game. Here's the big thing is they need to be able to stretch the floor. They, they have to stretch the floor and open up the paint. Otherwise, it's going to be a problematic game for Gonzaga. Killian Tilly is available, so that's a guy that I think could have a huge impact in this game in stretching the floor. They need Zach Norvell to show up and, and, have, a, and have a big performance for them because they're going to need shooting in this game to, to stretch Florida State out. That being said, Florida State, they have, they have the tools that you need to beat Gonzaga historically. Gonzaga struggles with teams that are long and athletic and can play really tough defense. This is a game that I'm terrified as as a Gonzaga fan. If you had told me what's the one team on the 3-4-5 line that you're most scared of playing, I would have been most scared of playing Florida State. And sure enough, here they are, another matchup. I guess the best hope here is that since Florida State has a long travel out west, that, that maybe they're, they're affected by that. But at the end of the day, it's a good test for Gonzaga. You're going up against a team that's a really bad matchup for you. If you're going to be a national champion, if you really are a one seed, this is a game that you have to be able to pull out. I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be close. I think the difference maker in this game is ultimately going to be Killian Tilly. I think he's the one that his ability to stretch the floor and pull those Florida State bigs out from underneath the rim, I believe his ability to do that is going to create for guys like Rui Hachimura, Josh Perkins to be able to get into the lane and, and get buckets. Moving on, though, Texas Tech, Michigan. I really don't have a read on this game. I like Texas Tech. I like Jarrett Culver. But again, kind of what we talked about with Purdue, if Jarrett Culver is in foul trouble or if he's not playing his best game, Michigan is going to run away with this game. Ultimately, I would bet Michigan. I'd take Michigan just because they have Beeline, who, in my opinion, is a better head coach. And I think coaching matters so much in the tournament. 
I like Michigan to go through to the Elite Eight. I'm taking Gonzaga. I'm taking Michigan into the Elite Eight in that region. Very chalky, I know, but I expect that one to be a good game as well. And finally, our last region, Midwest region, Houston and Kentucky. I like Houston in this game. Kentucky, without P.J. Washington, is not the same team. You saw it against Wofford. The offense struggled all day long for them, and there were a lot of open looks for for Wofford from three-point range, and I think Houston is going to take advantage of that. Gary Davis is phenomenal. This Houston team is run really well at the guard position. They're going to run up and down the floor. They're going to take a lot of three-pointers. It's a really fun team to watch, and I think after this game, America is going to get behind Houston, and that's going to be kind of our, our Cinderella team, so to speak, even though they're a three-seed they haven't been to the Sweet 16 since 1984. It's their first time back. You know, it's a historically great team, but it's a hit team that's so far removed from that history that it's it's almost a nostalgia factor as opposed to a, a North Carolina, a Kentucky, where it's like, oh, they're consistently good. Fun little fact for you. Houston is 5-0 and in the Elite Eight. When they make the Elite Eight, they always win. Just a, a fun little fact for you. So if Houston does go to the Elite Eight, Bet Houston, because they're going to win that game. And the last game I want to talk about is North Carolina and Auburn. North Carolina has looked really, really good this tournament cycle. Uh, Auburn as well, they struggled in, in game one, looked really good in game two. Part of the reason for that is this is a team that shoots a lot of threes, and so that adds so much variance into the game. If they're knocking down threes, they can beat anybody. If they aren't shooting threes as well, they're going to struggle a little bit like they did against New Mexico State. It's going to be a high-scoring game. This is two teams that love to run up and down the floor. They like to take a lot of threes, and they're going to get buckets. Uh, Auburn scored 78 in a game that they somewhat struggled offensively, and then 89 against Kansas. North Carolina put up 88 on Iona and 81 on UW. It's going to be a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be close, and I think it's ultimately going to come down to the guard play. Auburn is going to take a lot of threes, like I said, but... If they can get if they can get them to go, this is a game that they could not only win, it's a game they could run away with. Uh, for North Carolina, they have a lot of veteran leadership on that team with, with guys like Luke May, but they also have a lot of young, up-and-coming talent like, like Kobe White. Kobe White is going to be a guy. This Kobe White-Jared Harper matchup, I'm really interested to see. Jared Harper, a junior for Auburn, really, really talented, and he's kind of carried this team to this point. I like Auburn. I really like this Auburn team. I talked about last episode how this was a team that I thought could could shock a lot of people and make a deep tournament run. Here they are, the second lowest seeded team in the Sweet 16 as a five seed. But I like this Auburn team a lot. Auburn team a lot. And one thing we talked about last week, historically, one of the one seeds will not make the Elite Eight. I don't trust Duke. But team number two that I think should be on upset alert here is North Carolina. I really like this Auburn team, and it's the type of team that if they get hot from three, no one in the country is going to stop them. We'll see if it'll happen two games in a row because they were on fire against Kansas. But I like this Auburn team team a lot. I think the safest one pick is probably Virginia, just because all the ones are kind of on upset alert this week, in my opinion. Virginia is going to play a low-scoring game. Oregon's going to tape play the style of basketball that Virginia likes to play, which I think will favor Tony Bennett. It's going to be a really fun weekend of tournament games. I'm excited for the Sweet 16. The Elite Eight's going to be really good. I could see a scenario where we end up with four one seeds in the Final Four, and I wouldn't be shocked at all. If you told me that none of the one seeds make the Final Four, I'm not shocked at all. 
all these one seeds have enough flaws and enough bad matchups on these schedules that I wouldn't be totally shocked if none of them make it. Really going to enjoy it. Let us know your thoughts. Shoot us a message on Instagram. Shoot us a DM. Just let us know what you think, who you have winning it all. Really looking forward to it. So we do want to transition away just a little bit from the NCAA tournament. Uh, it obviously does eat up so much this year, but this tournament has been so underwhelming. We we haven't really had a major buzzer beater. We haven't had any significant upsets. And even the upsets that did happen, Oregon dominated uh Liberty was kind of a game that a lot of people expected Liberty to win. Murray State dominated Marquette. We haven't had that that second round, you know, that deep run from a, a double digit seed outside of Oregon, and Oregon wasn't that surprising. I guess it, we're taking Oregon as our Cinderella. Maybe a team like Auburn, like I said, will will make a run. But we do want to transition a little bit. Start with the NBA first and foremost. Prayers up to to Yusuf Nurkic who who was injured in that in that game for the Portland Trailblazers last night. A really horrific injury. If you haven't seen it, I don't recommend you watch it. It's ugly and gnarly, and it's a shame. He was playing really well, had, a, I want to say, 36 and 15 last night before he got hurt in that game. Really tough injury. It's going gonna, it's gonna to affect the, the, the Blazers going into the playoffs. I mean, that's a really good player. He's the third best player on that team, and with C.J. McCollum getting hurt, and now him, who's almost definitely out for the playoffs. Got to wonder about this Blazers team. They've had a history of not being able to win playoff series, and that's going to make it even tougher on them. That being said, you know, it's a good thing they signed Ennis Cantor and Zach Collins. They drafted him for a reason. It's time for those guys to step up. You just hope, if you're a Blazers fan, that you can hold on to, to home court advantage in the first round. Right now, it looks like they'll have a matchup of someone between Utah and the Clippers, potentially the Spurs and the Thunder are all in play. If you're a Portland fan, I think you have to hope for the the Clippers or the Spurs there. I mean, this Utah team is a matchup nightmare if you don't have Yusuf Nurkic with Rudy Gobert down low. And this OKC team just has a ton of talent. And Steven Adams, I think, might be able to manhandle someone like Ennis Cantor or, or Zach Collins over an entire series. That being said, the Clippers... They don't have a really dominant big. They have Montrez Harrell, who's been good this season. But I think I think Zach Collins and S. Cantor would more than hold their own. And the the Spurs have been just a weird team. I don't know how much I really like them. Lamarcus Aldridge has been fantastic. Demar Derozan's been very good, but I don't think they're built for the playoffs. They don't shoot threes. At least they don't shoot enough threes to win games. Pop has been a little stuck in the past. They're taking, I believe, the second least threes of any roster in the NBA this season. So, but prayers up there for Yusuf Nurkic. At the time of recording, uh, Houston-Milwaukee is on as we speak in what is being dubbed as a game to decide the MVP. James Harden, Giannis Antetokounmpo. The narrative has become the winner of this game is going to win the MVP, and that's how it should be. And look, it's an 82-game season. It's a long season. I don't think MVP should be decided over one game, just as when... James Harden dropped 61 points over this past weekend. I don't think that should have been the defining game for James Harden's MVP candidacy. At the end of the day, James Harden's averaging 36 points a game, which is absurd. And if there's a reason that he's MVP, it should be for that reason. At this point, I don't really have a clear-cut answer for who should be MVP. If you believe it's Giannis, there's very good arguments to be made. They're the one seed in the East. He's arguably the 
best and most versatile defender in the NBA. He's putting up monster numbers that are Shaq-esque. I know Giannis is not a traditional big, but you look at the numbers, they're very comparable to Shaq's numbers. But if you tell me James Harden, I don't have an argument. This team was decimated by injuries. Eric Gordon, Chris Paul, Clint Capello, their three best players have all been hurt for large stretches of the season. And James Harden went off, went on that streak where it was, I can't remember the exact number, I want to say 26 games where he had 30-plus points in a row. Absolutely insert. He's averaging 36 points per game. That's a number that we just don't hear in the NBA. It's a number that isn't touched. It's a number that's not hit in the NBA, and he's doing it. And they're the three seed right now with a chance to potentially move up to the two or the one if they do continue to win and if uh, the Warriors or Denver struggle. But I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Personally, if I was voting MVP, I would go Giannis one, Harden two. The reason being, the Bucks are the one seed in the East. They've had tremendous growth from last season. This was a team last year that at no point looked like a real contender in the East. They had talent, but it wasn't to the point that they would be the one seed, have the best record in basketball. And currently, as we're recording this, they're 55-19. and 19. Giannis has been the centerpiece of all of that. Really, really good team. I mean, they're a really good team, and Giannis is the centerpiece of it. I think at some point, winning matters. I know Houston's the three seed. They have 47 wins, but but Giannis really is the centerpiece of everything they do, both offensively and defensively. And I I don't look at the numbers too much because I feel like every time I watch the Bucks, Giannis plays 25 minutes because they're up by 30 in it, and they just blow everybody out. Yes, James Harden has been incredible, and I think it's one of those situations where in the in the NFL there always seems to be your your MVP that goes to the guys to the guy who wins the most games, but then they give offensive player of the year to the guy who has the craziest numbers. This is one of those scenarios where if there was like an offensive player of the year, I'd give it to James Harden and MVP should absolutely go to Giannis. But that being said, it's such a tight battle. I don't think there's a real clear cut one, two. I think you're right in whatever happens. Part of me almost hoped that there's an exact tie with Giannis and, and James Harden, and they have to give out two MVPs because really both these guys deserve MVPs. It's not a situation where we don't have a good MVP candidate. We kind of had that, I want to say it was two years ago, when James Harden and the James Harden and Russell Westbrook were kind of the two guys people were talking about. Russell Westbrook's big thing was, well, look at all these triple doubles, and all of his detractors said, well, but he isn't winning any games. And you know, James Harden's argument was like, well, look at all these points he's scoring and these numbers he's putting up. And the argument against him was, well, he doesn't play defense and he has a better team than Russell Westbrook. And it was more so that both the candidates weren't great. Whereas this year, I think this is two all-time talked about seasons in the NBA. I think when people look back on this regular season, the three things people will talk about is, one, James Harden is absolutely incredible and can carry a team through the regular season. Two, Giannis Antetokounmpo showed the world that he is maybe the best player in the NBA. I think there's an argument to be made for it that just in terms of who is the best player who's going to put up the best numbers that for an 82-game regular season, who's the one guy you want? It might be Giannis Antetokounmpo. And three, the Lakers aren't going to make the playoffs because that team is horribly, awfully built. But we aren't going to talk about the Lakers because there's no reason to talk about the Lakers because they're irrelevant, they're eliminated from the playoffs, and they don't deserve to be talked about. Shifting away from the NBA, though, did want to talk about a new NFL rule change. Uh, the owners approved that teams can now challenge offensive and defensive pass interference. Uh, I saw a tweet from 
from Tom Fornelli that I think about just summed it up. He said, I have long said the one thing that the NFL is lacking is more replay reviews. And I think that just sums it up perfectly. Like, yes, the the missed call in the Saints-Rams game was awful and egregious, and it affected the game way more than it should, and there should be a way to get the call right. I understand that argument. At the same time, we see in the NFL, and particularly the NBA, has made such a push for the game to become more watchable, you know. Offensive rebounds, if you get an offensive rebound, the shot clock goes to 14 instead of 24, so there's less long dragging on possessions, more shooting, more threes. The NFL has said made all these rules to make passing easier so teams can just air it out and do what Kansas City did last year and just throw the ball all over the field because that's exciting and that's good. But all this replay stuff goes against that. What's the worst part of any NFL game? The constant replay reviews, the constant stoppage in play. It's something we've seen a lot with college basketball during this tournament cycle of, well, oh, we got to check the exact time the ball went out of bounds. Well, it was 1.2 instead of 1.1. So we got to adjust that 0.1 second. They spent three minutes going over this. Nobody cares. Just go on with the game. Trust the shot clock operator. Trust the referees. Yes, they are going to miss calls. Yes, the the call in the NFC Championship game was egregious. But do we need to drastically overreact to it like this? Is this the answer that we must overreact to it to the point that we need to change the rules and make the game so much more unwatchable? Because we know how it's going to be. Anytime there's a, a late game situation and there's a big call, they're going to throw the flag because... Look, reality is there's a pass interference on almost every play. Like, if you really look at it, you can make the judgment call that, yes, that's a pass interference. And this is a rule that they added in the CFL that you're allowed to challenge pass interference. You can challenge any penalty, but in particular, pass interference. And so what teams have started doing is, in in CFL, you only get three downs. So if there's a third down scenario that they need to convert, they just throw a deep ball and it's either you go and you win the jump ball, or you're pretty sure there's going to be pass interference. So they throw a deep ball, pass interference doesn't get called, they throw a challenge flag and say, hey, pretty sure there's pass interference. And almost without fail, they're able to look back and find something to call pass interference on. I hate the rule change. I think it makes the game so much more unwatchable. I think there should be a human element to the game, and I know that this might be hot takey, but there's I don't have a problem with the refs occasionally missing calls. It happens. It adds to the drama and the excitement of the game. I hate how college basketball goes through and reviews to make sure the clock was right to the point two, the point one second of every single game. It slows the game down. It makes it less watchable. And at the end of the day, especially if you're the NFL, that's what we're here for is the entertainment factor of it. That's why you've made all these rule changes. And that's just, I think, what I, what I dislike about it so much is the hypocrisy of the NFL to make all these changes to make the defense's life harder for the sake of let's make the game more watchable and more appealing to a broader audience. But then you do this, and this is the most unwatchable part. Nobody has ever said the most unwatchable part of the NFL is when people get hit really hard. That's just the worst. I hate it when that happens. No one's ever said that. Everyone agrees the least watchable part of the NFL is all of the replays, constant stoppages. You have touchdown, commercial, extra point, commercial, kickoff, commercial. You get two, three plays with three sets of commercials. And then, oh, we got a stoppage to review and make sure that we got the ball marked at the exact centimeter point. It's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. I hate the rule change. I really do. I hate the rule change. 
let let us know what you think. Shoot us a DM, message us on uh on Twitter or Instagram and let us know what you think. I hate it. That's my official take on it. But uh yeah, I think that's all we got. It's kind of been uh you know, March Madness kind of dominates the storylines in in news in sports news this week and uh, we had a good discussion about that. Really excited for for the finish of March Madness. Talked a little bit of NBA. NBA playoffs are coming up. Got about eight games left for most of these teams. So we'll do a big NBA playoff preview when we get there. Uh, spoiler alert, yes, the Warriors are going to win the finals. But there's going to be a lot of really good stuff. And talked a little bit of the NFL at the end there. What's next? We're going to challenge holding calls? We're going to cha- challenge uh, offsides, maybe. I don't know. Maybe we'll challenge illegal illegal formation, illegal motion. We'll just start challenging everything. I think it sounds like a plan. Yeah, there was illegal contact. He pushed me outside five yards. Because that's what we need. We need more points and more stoppages in place. Because that's really what everyone wants to see. But anyways, that's my rant. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter if you don't already. Check out our other podcasts. Uh, We did a How to Create a Perfect Bracket last week. Kind of previewed some of the the tournament. There's a lot of good stuff in there going to the rest of the tournament. Uh, Make sure you check out our Monday messages. Uh, The last one that we did on character was really, really well received. If you haven't listened to it, please go check it out. And then please go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. We're excited to be on there. Subscribe. It helps us out a ton. Uh, Thank you very much. Hope you have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next time.